Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know. You're about to listen to our bonus episode featuring our extended conversation with Vanessa Briscoe Hay from Pylon. Vanessa also joined us for our top five debut albums, so please make sure to listen to the main episode for more fun. Now sit back and enjoy this special bonus episode of Only Three Lads. Come on in, come on in. Welcome. It's another episode of The Only Three Lads, where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music between 1974 and 1999. I am Uncle Greg. We have the PhD of music, Brett Vargo. Well, hello. And I hear you have a new mantra for yourself. What is it? Kimberly called me the professor, no doubt after my uh, very lame character on our grunge episode. (laughs) (laughs) And of course... We have the ambassador of love, Bueno. That's me. Where's the beef? (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, here we go. Well, hey, this week we have a special guest, and we are taking a look at our top five debut albums. And this was a hard week because there's a lot of great albums out there. To tell you the truth, I picked songs that turned the light on for me, whatever it was, what turned me on to my music, especially when you're a young teen and you're just discovering who you are and the music really defines a person. So that's kind of where I went. And I also used a little Jack and Coke to whittle my list down because then it got easier. I got a little bit more honest with myself. And so Mm. that's how I picked my top five this week. Anybody else have any trouble? Oh, Lord. Uh, I had an extreme amount of trouble. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But but I did not turn to the booze. I did not turn to the bottle, Gregory. (laughs) Well, it's just a little Jack and Diet Coke. I don't like Coke, but Jack and Diet Coke. That's what I was drinking going through my list. Yeah, no, it was tough because there are so many great debuts. There was a lot of great ones. That's why we have the sophomore slump. People have their whole lives to write that first album. Now they have managers and they got girlfriends and they got boyfriends and they have pressure and then they have to write another album. And some sometimes the second album, it kind of falls flat. But if you have a good sophomore album, let's say Duran Duran Rio, boom, you're shot even further into the stratosphere. But if you shoot your wad in the first first time around, you're done. Well, no, not necessarily, no, but... It definitely you got to have a, you just got to be a great writer and have great writers and great people around you. It takes a team. It's never one person. I don't believe. So we have a special guest this week. Let me go ahead and launch into my number five. Okay. Because I think it probably is also going to be an introduction to our special guest today. It is the highly influential and incredible Athens, Georgia band Pylon and their debut album Gyrate. Coming right at the dawn of the 80s, this album to me is ground zero for the American indie rock that was to follow. Probably more so than any record on my list this week, Gyrate does not sound date stamped in any way. It sounds fresh enough to have been released at any point in the unbelievably past 40 plus years. And I hear it's Sonic DNA in many bands from early R.E.M. to Sonic Youth to Sleater Kinney to more recently bands like Savages and Negative Scanner. Gyrate is a perfect blend of immediate art punk angst, minimalist post-punk cool, and most importantly, I'll tell you if this record doesn't have you dancing from beginning to end, you really need to get your pulse checked. 
as the album closer stop it screams hey kids now rock and roll now 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 and the groundbreaking brand of music that pylon created did seem to be now rock and roll but also pointed to what the rock and roll of the future could be Pylon was the noise created by four young art students, the propulsive drumming of Curtis Crow, the funk-driven bass lines of Michael Lachowski, the angular slashing guitar riffs of the late, great Randy Bewley, and of course, the brilliant, elastic, confident vocals of our special guest today, one of my favorite singers of the O3L era. This is truly one of those pinch-me moments, the voice of Pylon, the legend Vanessa Briscoe Hay. So welcome to Only Three Lads, Vanessa. Well, hi, Brett. <laughs> hey, y'all. I don't know what to say after all that, but um, I'm not going to scream and run. <laughs> not yet. But I'm highly honored to be on your podcast. Um, I think Thank I was you. talking to you earlier and told you uh, I'm surrounded by music nerds, and I feel very comfortable um, joining you, although I don't consider myself a music nerd. I'm more of, you know, a fan. That's wonderful. We are fans and, well, I will speak for myself. I'm an extreme music nerd. <laughs> Ditto. And it's an incredible honor to have you here. So, O3L listeners, really, if there is only one music buying recommendation that I can make to you this spring, it's the new Pylon box set. It was released on vinyl last year and quickly sold out. But thankfully, it's being issued on CD on March 26th. Yay. So right. it compiles the band's work from 1979 to 1983, including their two albums during this time, plus singles, alternates, and a 1979 demo tape featuring the band at their formative stage that honestly is worth the price of admission alone. And it also has an absolutely beautiful book. The box has received an astounding amount of praise and is featured on best of lists from publications and media outlets from Uncut and Rolling Stone to the New York Times and NPR. So, Vanessa, congratulations on the success of the box set. Can you tell us how it came to be and why 2021 is the perfect time to either rediscover or even discover Pylon for the first time? This is a project that's been a very long time coming. Uh, after Randy died, I kind of took over some of the uh, correspondence and business side of the band. Not that he did that much. We tended to do things all together. We'd been in a recording project together called Supercluster. And the year that he died, we spent a lot of time getting ready and releasing Chomp More. Also, at the same time, Supercluster had a little recording project release, our only album. You know, after all of that and the fallout of going through a mourning period and working on those records and getting them together, I was kind of at a loss for a while of what to do with myself. And I started having people write me, please tell me where I can buy a copy of Gyrate or of Chomp. And all I could do was like refer them to the local used record store or to Discogs or something because yeah. the DFA reissues had already sold out and uh, the vinyl copies, uh, they had long ceased being pressed, I think, for years there. So I was like, you know, go to your local record store. And then I started looking on eBay and Discogs and I was like, this is absurd what these records are going for. And so I started trying to tie up all the business side of it and make everything back in our corner so that 
we could possibly look at reissuing those too. This is something that took years because I worked as a nurse full-time for 21 years until I retired, you know, back in 2016. So it's just a part-time thing to try to set up business. And then also I was sometimes doing music or doing art or whatever. And at one point, Pylon Reenactment Society, um, that had kind of gotten together as a flute for uh, Art Rocks Athens. The guitarist, Jason E. Smith, he's a certified audio engineer. And he looked at me one day in practice and he said, if you ever want to reissue Gyrate and Chomp, I want the first crack at uh, mastering them. Well, at that point, everything was still kind of in disarray and I just kind of filed away. You know, one day it looked like everything was pretty good. So I was like, Jason, are you serious about this? If you are, you know, let's do it. And so I, I had some, you know, mixtapes for Brandy. Mitch Easter sent some mixtapes. Southern Tracks in Atlanta. Uh, Jeff Calder from the Swimming Pool Cues, he sent some. And so uh, Jason started cataloging these tapes, which was not an easy job because the tapes were all mixed up. You know, like some engineer would take a cut off to put on something and just chop it and might slap it on another reel. So he had to, uns- you know, spend several uh, balls of yarn there. And uh, not only that, tapes of that era, of the p- post-punk era in particular, they're prone to flakes. So he had to bake them in an oven at right. a low temperature and then take them off uh, and digitize them. And he digitized them at the highest rate that he could because he only wanted to do this once. So we had that process going. So then I started talking to different labels. He had a friend of his come in and speak with us. He was kind of a box set guru, Bill Levinson. He's worked on many box set projects like, you know, for instance, VU and Crossroads. Oh, wow. He did it as a favor to Jason because Jason had been mastering some things for him. He said, you've got to have a business plan. And he told me what I needed to get together and then presented it to several labels. And we had some offers, but we went with New West Records because not only are they local, but they just put out the glands on box set. Oh. And Jason... And I had decided that this was probably going to end up being a box set, something like that, because we had way more material besides these two records. So we went with New uh, West Records, and uh, we were encouraged to do everything the way we wanted. And actually, when we thought that we were going to do a book at first, Michael kind of envisioned it more like a program that we get at a a show or whatever, maybe 32 pages. But somehow, through encouragement, you know, from our executive producer, Brady Brock, and also because of all of the ephemera we had, they couldn't believe that we saved almost everything. I mean, the stuff in the book is really curated down. And it was a 200-page book. And uh, he hired a writer who interviewed us and read an actual history. It's just kind of almost insane that a band that really only put out a few albums would have a 200-page book. But (laughs) we were artists, and uh, 
real kind of nerdy and I hope everybody enjoys it that gets to see it. Uh, the uh, box set with CD uh, be much less expensive, and I think it's doing really well so far for pre-sales. Vanessa, one of the things that always fascinated me, particularly in pre-internet times, before things got homogenized to a degree, is how certain regional scenes developed. So Athens, Georgia was probably the musical hotbed of the American South, as, at least as far as alternative music was concerned. Of course, you had the B-52s, who I think had moved to New York by the time they made it. I could be wrong on that. Of course, we had you guys, R.E.M., Love Tractor, The Side Effects, OK, Swimming Pool Cues, later on Matthew Sweet and a lot of the Elephant Six bands. Just an embarrassment of riches from that one area. I know it's a college town, and that's probably a huge part of it, but there's a lot of college towns that haven't produced a fraction of the great bands that Athens has, so... What is it or was it about Athens that makes it so special musically? To me, it's always been the people. We do have a, a wonderful art program here at the University of Georgia, which is, you know, originally drew a lot of interesting people. And because, you know, Athens has always been very liberal because it's a college town, we had a lot of um, gay people, you know, they all... BTGQ people moving here or to Atlanta back in the 60s and 70s because it was a lot friendlier and more comfortable for them here than, say, uh, Swainsboro. Not that there's anything wrong with Swainsboro, but you know what I mean. Small yeah, town, yeah. like where I come from, a small town. And so uh, we had a lot of uh, freedom. We had a really interesting professors. We had a great library. Um, we had people that went back and forth. We had people like Jeremy Ayers, who was protege of Andy Warhol. He encouraged a lot of people. He wrote lyrics for the B-52s and, you know, uh, encouraged people and uh, how they dressed and behaved. And so, um, we had a very liberal town with the great art department. We had a vegetarian restaurant. Uh, we had knowledge that there was something beyond our little borders here in Athens. Um, there was a bigger world out there. So uh, by the time, you know, uh, Pylon got together, oh, and we had a great record store, um, Chapter 3 Records. We knew that there was somewhere out there, we knew that there was an art scene and music scene that existed in New York, that existed in London and Berlin and Los Angeles, you know, also up in the Northwest, you know, like I have, a, you know, some very, very early sub-pop, you know, little magazines uh, that they would yeah. put out, little hand-drawn Xerox things. The do-it-yourself saying is what was happening at that point in time. People were making their own singles, so we were making our own everything. Yeah, Vanessa, so. a lot of the, all the material on the box set took you to some pretty big places, talking outside of Athens. You opened up for U2, Gang of Four, B-52s. What was that like when you were opening up for these bands that then became these iconic bands all these years later, like you too, that would be something that was probably shocking at the time. Well, sure. I mean, um, you know, actually that whole thing, we just did it to just kind of placate our booking agent. He had booked this tour with them and uh, we were like, wait a minute, we don't want to do that. Because at that point in time, 
these big arena shows, usually the people were not there to see anyone except, you know, a larger act. It wasn't really part of our scene. We were more interested in, you know, like the mid-sized clubs and college towns and places where the young artists were or whatever. Um, And so we did a few of those shows. And, you know, it it was uh, exactly what we thought it would be almost the entire time. We were on the stage. People yelled, get off the stage. Uh, (laughs) It might have toughened you up, though. I hope I'm not sounding like a spoiled brat or whatever. But, you know, we just really weren't interested in that. And we were really not people that were seeking to be, you know, industry types. We just wanted to do things the way we wanted to do them. Now, the second time we got together... We did open some um, big, huge shows for REM and for the B-52s in arenas and stadiums or whatever. But at that point, the world had kind of changed because of who REM were and the B-52s were, and they'd had these hits. They were a little more interested to see some of the bands that they might bring to open for them. So it was a different thing. That's all I've got to say about it. Well, now, do you shock people in your life today? Like, let's say you're at the store and someone's like, I really love you too. You're like, yeah, I opened up for them one time. And they're like, no, you didn't. (laughs) Um, You know, I I spent years not really discussing what I did at work, but I would have people recognize me and ask me to autograph things. And I would always go, are you sure you want me to be your nurse? And they would go, oh, yes, (laughs) we do. Because I was as serious about that as I was about art and music. I just wanted people to feel comfortable. So uh, it's like, you know, the nurses, they, most of them, believe it or not, that I've worked with were not into music at all, unless it was country music or whatever. So they could right. care less. So it was kind of fun, you know. It, it, they accepted me and I did my job well and I got along with them fine and I think that's great. So have you signed more records or casts in your time? Oh, that's really funny. Well, I didn't work <laughs> and uh, <laughs> orthopedic unit uh, unless I was pulled there. I worked on a uh, urology gynecology surgery unit that ended up um, getting um, dialysis patients but uh I have signed quite a few casts in my time for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Probably because the first I heard Pylon, you were a legendary band in name to me. And then I finally heard you through the compilation that came out from Razor and Tie in the 90s called Totally Wired. I don't know if anybody remembers that one, but it was full of terse, danceable post-punk. So I always tended to associate rather than with some of the other Athens bands that were maybe a little janglier and things like that more with like gang of four delta five the all pairs and bands like that that shared space on that compilation so i'm just wondering what bands influenced you and then the other part of that i guess was that i've long suspected that the proximity of athens to atlanta and the very rich history of funk and soul music probably crept in there so if you can speak on that too (laughs) well um (laughs) As far as influences, I don't know anything that has directly influenced me, 
but I grew up listening to country music. I love Hank Williams. I do not sound like Hank Williams. <laughs> I, I loved, you know, uh, a lot of those artists like Loretta Lynn. I mean, you know, just a mm. salt of the earth poets. Um, then I grew to like the Beatles. I don't sound like the Beatles. Then I like Janice Joplin. I don't think I sound like Janice Joplin. I might be able to channel her sometimes. Right. You know, and so on and so forth. But, you know, we, the whole band all pretty much listened to different things. But we did agree on a few things. We liked the Eraserhead soundtrack. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, That's a good one. <laughs> we like James Brown, Cold Sweat, and we would sometimes oh, yeah. play that before a show to get geared up. And this is before we knew about any of his troubles. We also like that No New York album mm-hmm. a lot. You know, really, we didn't have a whole lot in common. We all like Kraftwerk, for example. Right. Uh, uh, and we all like the band Vibrators. <laughs> Another great one. <laughs> they were great. And so, you know, and of course, the B-52s. Um, I was a huge fan of the B-52s right from the beginning. I don't sing like Kate or Cindy. I wish I could, but I don't. But Vanessa, did you ever go to the Love Shack? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, uh, of course. I went out to her house with my first husband, and he actually photographed the bees out there. Um, she had a um, beautiful, it was more of a cabin than a shack, um, and some goats and really nice garden yeah. and lived out, you know, I think it was Jackson County. You know, in that side of Clark County, just south over the Clark, Clark County line. So, uh, first time I ever saw Kate, she was riding down um, Broad Street in the back of a truck. And she had an evening gown standing up back there with this long scarf blowing behind her like Isadora Duncan. And she had a bag full of glitter that she was scattering to the wind. Wow. And I was like, who is that? (laughs) Vanessa, who was probably like the biggest band or biggest maybe artist who came up to you and said, your band influenced me? Oh, gosh. Well, I've had uh, so many people come up that it's unreal that they like my band. They don't necessarily say influenced by, but, you know, like Bradford Cox from Deer Hunter, Mm -hmm. um, Sleater Kenny. I met all of them at 40 Watt. Uh, I wasn't looking for them, but uh, I got to meet them all. So many bands, you know, I've talked to, especially younger bands that uh, have... uh, uh, a female member, uh, but love Pylon. And with good reason. There is so much of what you did 40 years ago that still sounds completely current today or ahead of its time today. So you had mentioned Olivia Tremor Control, and I'm I'm a big fan of Olivia Tremor Control as well as, I mean, a lot of the Elephant Six bands. So did you enjoy that collective? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for the most part. Even, uh, you know, and it kind of extended, you know, my guitarist, uh, bass player, uh, Jason and Kay, they play in the Casper and the Cookies who were associated with that project. And they're just wonderful. Uh, the Chills from New Zealand. Oh, yes. uh, You're speaking my language. Anything. <laughs> uh, uh, Neutral Milk Hotel. Hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, they should have been on my debut list too because I've listened to them a bunch. Um, just so many great band and my band Supercluster was considered uh, a part of that collective in a way. We had several members who were part of the collective like John Fernandez and uh, Jason and Kay. And so, um, oh, and uh, Heather McIntosh, she lives on the West Coast now. She does uh, music for films now. She's a cellist, uh, graduated from UGA. She was in a band called Japan and Cakes, and she also played uh, cello on quite a few records uh, that came out here. And when is the Pylon box set coming out once again, Brett? Um, March 26, I, but, but March, we'll let Vanessa oh, yeah. plug that, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to have to edit it. I heard you say Brett, but he didn't say anything. And I was like, well, I know. March 26. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be available um, everywhere. I think that some of the indie stores will be running uh, contests and uh, certain places uh, for different things. And uh, I'm just really looking forward to seeing it come out on CD because it wasn't going to come out on CD at all at first. Uh, the main thing was to get it on vinyl and get it streaming because I'd had all streaming polls several years ago. We had fans, you know, you don't want to say older because they're not all older, but there's some people that just prefer CDs, like prefer, um, you know, how they sound yeah. and um, the convenience, the portability or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I didn't want to go to New West and go, look, all of our fans, uh, some of them are in an uproar because this isn't coming out on CD. And it's not my money. And they um, they read it and saw it. And they were like, let's put a CD package together. So uh, they suggested uh, releasing it with the full-size book. So uh, there were some people that just wanted the book. Um, sorry, you can't just buy the book. But it's a lot less expensive just with the CDs. And they'll be in the back with some art. You got a lot of great music to go along with that. Four book. whole albums, yeah. <laughs> Bonus. Years in the making. And the, the vinyl reissues were so well done. Beautiful packaging. I mean, even down to chomp the die cut you know, on the top, it looks like, you know, like the dinosaur on the cover chomped the top of the cover off. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, that came from a um, postcard that we found in um, New Mexico. And... Uh, is no excuse me it's vernal utah the dinosaur capital of the world oh. randy and i had gone into to a gift shop and they were like we're closed and we're like we just want some postcards and they were like well okay and we're like we'll take 20 of that one and 30 of that you know we just bought for everybody we got them back to the car and michael looked at the postcards back then they used to have that little edge like that and he folded it over uh, to make a square in the front. And he said, I've got the cover for our new record now. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, that's where it came from. And uh, we were like, yeah, that looks good. Anyway, he, I, I, I have to mention Henry Owings, too, with Chunklet. He worked really hard with Michael Husky doing the heavy lifting, the graphics part of the uh, box set or the vision part. And the sound part, Jason worked with me to do almost everything. I was just mainly involved in uh, decision-making, whereas he did all the heavy lifting and the baking and the digitizing and whatever. 
And so we had a really great team. And over at New West, um, Matt, he does a lot of uh, these projects, the Nuts and Balls guy, Matt Ekin. He uh, was so thrilled when he found a vendor that could make that edge for us. So this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having Vanessa, me. Vanessa, thank you. you so much for being on and for, gosh, those stories. Amazing. They're, I mean, it's so cool to hear. Once again, Vanessa, thank you for putting up with myself. Uh, I can only speak for myself, but the other two guys, too. I'm sure that uh, it was kind of a struggle. But we thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you for being so generous with your time, Vanessa, and for me reaching out to you on a whim with the hopes that I would be able to have one of my favorite singers on the show. So I really appreciate that. And if you didn't get scared off and you ever want to come back, you are welcome here in the <laughs> I would love to, and I, I probably know some nerds who would love to do it, too. Fantastic. Send them our Send way. Send them our yes. way. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else right. you guys need to say before we get out of here? Oh, uh, maintain social distancing. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. And be nice. I say all that. And let's add B Bueno. The theme music is Frequency, written and performed by yours truly, Brett Vargo. Any other music in this episode is presented solely for purposes of review, examination, and news reporting. If you like what you hear, go to your record store and pick up the LP, CD, cassette, or 8-track, or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants. If we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us, go out and see some live music. For the latest updates, join the O3L community at facebook.com slash only3lads. We want to hear from you. And while you're at it, click on the Shop Now link for the coolest threads. Until next time, thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.